Hello and welcome to Public Speaking with me, David Murray. I'm here to share the tools and techniques so that you can communicate with confidence in your speeches, in your pitches, in your job interviews, presentations and much, much more. I also offer one-to-one coaching and workshops and you can find out more and get in touch by visiting me at davidalamurray.com. And so you don't miss out on more resources, please make sure that you sign up for my newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. And when you do this, you will get access to all my top tips and free resources for communicating with confidence. Today, I'm speaking with Corey Beckwith. Corey is a teaching and research technician, a laboratory manager in a pharmacy college and a lover of music and science. He talks about his interesting line of work in the field of pharmacognosy, which, for those who don't know, is the study of plants for use in medicinal drugs. He tells us how he fell into this line of work purely by chance and how much joy it gives him. In Corey's line of work, he prepares and runs classes for undergraduates and MSc students, which can be for anything up to 50 or so people. So, with this in mind, Corey shares his top tips for coaches thinking about running effective learning sessions when they have a large number of people attending. And he talks about how to deal with difficult questions that might be asked by your attendees and how to cope if you don't have the answer. Corey shares his advice for anyone thinking of speaking to a group, whether that be coaches who are running group sessions or for people wanting to share their message through public speaking and says it's important to enjoy what you're doing. He shares a great top tip for anyone who ever gets nervous before speaking to a group. And finally, he talks about the key ingredients for being a good communicator and says research your subject, know your audience and focus on your message. If you like what you hear today, please do subscribe and leave a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. By doing this, you really will help the podcast reach others who might find it useful. So without further ado, let's begin to communicate with confidence. Hey there, you're listening to the David Murray Public Speaking Podcast. To find out more, you can visit me at davidalamurray.com. Hello, welcome to the show. Today, my very special guest is a teaching and research technician, a laboratory manager in a pharmacy college, a lover of music and science. Can I introduce you to, please, Corey Beckwith. Corey, how are you? I'm very well, David. Thank you for the invite. I'm very happy to be here. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining the show today. My pleasure. So the reason why I got you down here today is that I know you've got a very unique role and working environment and Basically, I'd just like to talk to you about that today. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. Brilliant. So, without further ado, Corey, can you tell us, what is it you do? So, I work in a pharmacy college, and I'm a teaching and a research technician. So, this in a pharmacography centre, and pharmacography is the study of plants and other natural products that can be derived for making medicinal drugs. When you talk about the study of plants, yeah, yeah, and in the context of, uh, I guess, for looking researching for medicinal purposes, are there any sort of everyday common plants that people are aware of, the kind of things that you study? Yeah, so um, 
in our research and also in our teaching, um, things like eugenol, um, which is a volatile oil from clove oil, which is used in dentistry, and things like um, opium, which is from the poppy, which grows in the UK. Opium is the, still the, the best painkiller to date. All right. And what's the sort of area of focus that you're looking at? So if we talk about, for example, opium, I guess is a good example. We kind of all know that that's probably used as a painkiller. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of studies are you doing? Are you looking to kind of uh, different uses of it or is it more about using, using it in a diff different way or something? So um, the opium was mainly an, an example of, of uh, something we can get from a plant that's used medicinally. We don't really do much research on opium anymore. I mean, I do a class on drugs of abuse and so therefore there's a, I do a talk about the history of, of these medicines. Um, we do like reagent tests on, on unknown um, samples that are given to the students, maybe for cannabis or, or, or cocaine yeah. opium. So they do things like that. But um, I, I would say typically we would f find a plant and maybe it's been used by some indigenous people of a certain country for, as a certain remedy. And what we would do is we would um, take this plant and we do extractions uh, via polarity mm. to um, separate compounds that are contained. And what we're looking for is uh, a novel compound from, from yeah. these plants that can be used in certain, uh, against, uh, there's quite a few people doing different fields of study, so someone mm. might be working on drug-resistant bacteria, yeah. someone might be working on anti-inflammatory properties of plants, maybe against yeah. NF-kappa B to try yeah. and inhibit that. Yeah. And so therefore, if we end up getting a novel compound, and um, we will then use that against these, uh, we, we will basically give these compounds to say, can you test it against if it's got anti, any anti-inflammatory properties, yeah. or can you test this for um, if it's good for drug-resistant bacteria, yeah. or if it can kill wow. cancer, so things like that. That's incredible. And I've got to ask you, how did you get into this area of work? Um, by chance, uh, originally, I was, a, I was a technician back up north in Leeds, and I, I was engaged to a lady down here, and I basically moved down to be with her, and I saw an advertisement for, uh, it was a trainee position for a trainee te technician. And uh, I got, got the job, and this was like a, a three-year contract, and they were going to then place me in a certain part of the college. Yeah. Um, but after about a year, I got poached into pharmacography um, to do a research study on NF-kappa B. What's and that? Then, so it's, a, it's basically a, a transcription factor and it's basically a signaling pathway, so it's part of the process of um, the inflammation, the inflammatory response. Yeah, okay. And so, therefore, we were trying to find compounds that would inhibit, whether it be topically or, wow, or orally, okay. so inhibit um, any kind of inflammatory response. So I did that for three years, and after three years I then got uh, poached into being the lab manager and a teaching and research technician for the Phagmacoxy Centre still. Yeah. So, it kind of, kind of carried on from that. Thank you for, for sharing this. And one of the things that really interested in me getting you on the, on the show today was because I know that you have to share, as you're doing now, lots of complex information, but in a way that your everyday person can understand. Does that make sense? Uh, regards everyday person, I mean, we're, in a, we're a research establishment and also a teaching establishment, so therefore we will have undergrads who will already have a, a basic knowledge of, say, organic <laughs> chemistry. Yeah. So, there's, so the basics 
won't need to be relayed to them. Mm. Um, we also teach MSc students, but then they have a varying degree of, of, of knowledge in the field depending on what they've studied prior to that. Yeah. So where it comes to relaying um, complex information, you kind of have to gauge what level they're at. Mm. I mean, usually in our, in our practical classes, we're kind of open to uh, feedback all the way through and, yeah. and keeping an eye on the students actually as the experiments are actually running. Yeah. You can see if there's any problem areas or any bottlenecks mm. and then maybe go over some, some of the basics a bit more. When I asked you the question earlier around, you know, conveying complex information to the everyday person, you know, I think what I heard you saying was, that's not something you really need to do because people are coming in uh, who have got there's a certain level of expectation that they'll have an awareness or understanding of some of these concepts already. Yeah. Does that make sense? So how do you how do you then gauge from an individual perspective um, how much certainty they have about some of the concepts that you're talking about? Well, pharmacy is quite a, a broad subject that's taught and I'm only covering a certain point of it and that's the, the plant-based section of it. Um, gauging what level they're at is uh, when they're running through the experiments um, we're quite hands-on so that they'll be if I'm not actually taking that class I will be demonstrating in that class and there'll be two demonstrators with me so I'll be a teaching technician in that class, two demonstrators yeah. and a lecturer whereas there are other classes where like a drugs abuse class where I'm actually running it myself and so therefore it's, there's quite there's probably four or five people for a class of maybe 40, so mm. we're flitting around, as it were, um, viewing the, the processes. So at the beginning of the class, they'll have a, an introduction, a brief introduction. Yeah. About 40, 45 minutes to go over maybe the history of the compounds that we're, we're, we're looking at that day and the processes to isolate those. Yeah. Um, we describe the equipment that they need to use to get these processes mm. and the reactions that are involved. And then when they actually start running the experiment themselves, we, we flit around looking for any issues to solve, as it were. Thank you. So when, when you've got a, a, how big do you say the class size tends so to you, be? It goes from about 40 to 50 for the undergrads and for the MSCs, depending on how popular the class is that year, um, around about 15 MSC students. So you could be running a session for a, anything up upwards of up to about 40 people 50 50 people yeah. and when you're you mentioned about looking for issues how do you manage manage a group that size I mean I, I think in, in the context that there'll be people listening who maybe they're embarking into this sphere of coaching and obviously no specifically we're talking about um, sort of the work you do in the context of a laboratory yeah but I think this really does re relate to people, I think, who are kind of thinking about running their own workshops in their own business, is that what top tip would you give for running a session when you've got a large number of people and you essentially what it sounds like, you've got lots of spinning plates, if, if you like, so how do you kind of keep on top of everything? What would be your one piece of wisdom that you'd share with us to keep on top of everything? If, if you're running a group of 50 people, um, and there's only one of you. That's not really that hands-on. You're not. They're not get benefiting enough from your time. So we, we have a team. We have backups. So therefore, we will have. Yeah. So the, the top of the two would be like a lecturer, and then a, a teacher technician, and then a couple of demonstrators, or a technician, and maybe three or four demonstrators. Yeah. And the demonstrators themselves will be PhD students. So they're already they're already quite knowledgeable, usually yeah. in that field themselves. And they're 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 pretty good and on the ball. So there's a lot of backup. That's good. So if someone was thinking about running a, a group coaching session, yeah. do you see then, therefore, there is, a, there is a number that's too many for one person to manage, to, to, for it to be a good learning experience for the attendees? 
Thing, I think I can only really think for like a, a, a teaching in a science uh, perspective, and I would say that you need one person per ten. One person per ten. So if you've got four or five people for, for fifty, then that's quite a, a good a good number because yeah, especially in science, and if they're doing experiments, there's going to be bottlenecks and there's going to be parts where they're not understanding, and so that's a lot of people to be explaining things to. I'm not so sure for if it's like a coaching session. Yeah, of well, how many you but I, I, I'm lying with you there because when I run my sessions, ten is is okay. Anything up to ten is perfect. Twelve possibly, but any more than that, and really, you're spreading yourself too thinly, and not everybody in the room is getting a fair amount of your time or guidance, if you like. It's very hard to keep an eye on fifty yeah. people at the same time that I, I know that whatever issues they may be having yeah. because if you, especially if you're time dependent if you've only got like two hours or three hours there's not enough time to be able to relay the information to yeah. everybody so this gives an idea of the kind of effort that was required to set up one of these sessions that you, that you run um, or support in running so the classes themselves because they're, they're based in organic chemistry and they're wet classes so it can take sometimes a day just to prep the actual um, chemicals and the reagents that are being used and the equipment and, and um, as, a, as a pharmacy college you'll have a class and when it finishes you've got maybe an hour in between to clear all that stuff away to set out another class so it's quite time restrictive, restrictive in that sense so you, you would be and you, the, the process of just ordering the things in advance as well to be able to make it and like if we say if I needed a schedule one drug it might take a, a couple of weeks to get through yeah. so it's, so you have to so whenever, whenever it gets to teaching a month before I'll have mm. ordered all the um, items in that I need yeah. and then it's prepped usually depending on sometimes if you have a reagent it doesn't last that long if you're doing an enzyme you actually need to make that up yeah. like an hour before two hours before um, so it also depends on how long these chemicals these reagents last but usually you would prep maybe the day before yeah. and then do a few things early in the morning before the class actually starts yeah can you think of any sort of general do's or don'ts maybe one do and one don't if people are thinking about running sort of group sessions don't lose your focus don't lose your focus I, I remember when we we had a, a lab that had two classes at the same time and there was 50 students on one side 50 students on the other side and they were almost competing for noise and you'd get a lecturer or technician chatting at the other side and you lose focus by getting, by letting emotions if you, maybe you're angry at how someone's behaving in a class yeah. so you've, got, you've got to keep your focus or else you're not delivering the content they need because you've, you've got yourself flustered Looking at a broader context of, say, someone in, in coaching, if they were, say they put a lot of effort into kind of running a session and they don't feel like they're getting the kind of feedback, shall we say, from the participants in the room, I guess you're quite right. It's, it's, it could be easy for them to kind of get a little bit distracted by or out or of... Or disheartened. Or disheartened because people aren't invested in as much as the effort that they've put in to prepare yeah. it. I mean, I'm lucky in a way because <clears throat> most of the people that are actually here, are, um, they're interested in the topic. And so therefore they're mainly interested, you might get maybe in the whole year one or two people that play up and act up and just get them to leave the room if they're not interested in learning. So we kind of, we're quite strict and also because we're, we're using some very toxic and dangerous things. So we've got yeah. like schedule one drugs, we have things like uh, very toxic items so therefore from a safety perspective they can't be playing up or acting yeah. around, they've got to be um, also with their focus too. Yeah. So having your focus for feed down in a sense for them being focused as long as you're you're strict and fair yeah I think that's a really good top tip for, for, 
people in the broader in the broader coaching context is is uh, maintain your focus. You will get sometimes you will get individuals or and I certainly run sessions before where you know people have invested time to come, but some you think that once they're there, they don't seem to be overly invested in in the session that you put on. But as you're saying, you can't obviously let your own emotions kind of cloud that. You've got to manage that individual possibly maybe maybe you can think on your feet and think about how can you get them engaged as well can't you yeah and obviously clear, clearly if they're being disrupted then you have to kind of ask them to leave they're being disrupted it's, yeah. it's, it's usually because it's not them that actually want to be there maybe their parents have said look we want you to learn oh, yeah, yeah. we want you to learn to yeah. be a doctor and they're just doing it to keep their family happy but usually yeah there's quite a lot of focus and also when we're talking about going back to um, explaining complex, complex things to them yeah. quite a lot of them uh, are really interested in the fields of study and so therefore it's 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 for me it's a job that I have to keep my knowledge up because if say someone's got a, a, an interest in, in cannabis and its uses in medicine and then some things come out on the market that's that's quite new they'll know about it straight away so you have to be on you have to know your stuff and be on the ball because you, they, there are times you can get tripped up and sometimes yeah. you know what a couple of times I've, I've been tripped up in, not tripped up but as in there's been something that they've spoken about, and I'm like, I've not, I've not come across that yet. Uh, but that's not really in such a negative thing if you know virtually the majority of stuff, because they just feel good about themselves for like, oh yeah, I've learned this, I've seen this research study before. before okay, before I'm going to ask you a question now because right. it's a good, it's a good one. I like this. So you talked about sometimes people, I, I call them kind of. Maybe they're, they're well intentioned, but they can scupper things a little bit because they might ask a question that's potentially off script or a little bit left field. So people, were when they're delivering presentations, running sessions like you do, yeah. out, in, out in the corporate world or in, the, in, you know, in, in any kind of th- situation you can think of, might run a presentation and they might ask for questions, do questions and answers at the end. So you might be asked a difficult question. What would be your top tip for anybody who's been asked a very difficult question and don't have necessarily have the answer? How would you cope with that? What would be your top tip? Never blag it. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing worse than, bl- than blagging something. If, if they know something that, that, that you don't know, then you'll just go, oh, do you know, that's really interesting. I'll, do you know, I'll, look, I'll look into that because you know, I, I, it's a field I'm interested in, but no, yeah, I've not come across that yet. So, I like that. That's happened to me before um, when, when um, Sativex first came out, yeah. which is a cannabis medicine. And um, I wasn't aware of all the details because it was quite a new thing. Yeah. And that I, I kind of went, oh yeah, do you know what? I'll, I'll look into that. I, even though I've spoken about these drugs that we, we can get yeah. from there that has been used in medicine, I didn't realise that there was a maker's name already for one of them. So. so that's a good top tip there. If you're asked a difficult question and you don't know the answer, your response would be, don't blag it. Is that right? <laughs> don't make it <laughs> My up. My response would be, don't blag it, but accept that question has been interesting. Yeah. And thank you because you've actually, you've actually given something back to I this. I like that. I'm learning from yeah. this. Always acknowledge well. them in the positive, in a yeah, positive way. Yeah. And maybe a little nod. And, you know, yeah, I mean, if you knew question. nothing, they're going to go away thinking, this guy knows <laughs> nothing. But if it's just one thing, that's a I detail. You're right. And you're like, well, and thanks. And don't do what... The, Politicians are very good at they'll acknowledge the question and uh, don't actually answer it. What you're basically saying is acknowledge the question and actually appreciate the fact that somebody maybe have taught you something or got you thinking. So yeah, that's good. Because Thank it, you very much. It's a two-way process in a sense. Teacher, there's got to be some two-way process about teaching. Now, before we move on, because I would like to ask you a little bit about how you personally prepare before you go into one of these kind of big group sessions. But before we get there, 
I wonder if I can invite you to share one piece of wisdom. So for anybody who's thinking about communicating to a group, that might be through running lectures, running sessions like you run, delivering a presentation at work, public speaking, what one piece of advice would you give them? Well, you have to enjoy what you're doing because if you're not enjoying what you're doing, they're not going to believe what you're saying. And also, the field that you're talking about, research it, find out as much about it as possible because if if you have all the knowledge in your mind, you're less likely to be nervous because even if you lose your point of reference, you can ad-lib and go back to another part of information that you're wanting to divulge. Thank you very much. Now, I'm going to ask you a... A little bit of a deeper question now, if I can do. Before you're running one of these group sessions, when you look at those, do you ever get nervous? Um, incredibly so. I, I, there's certain points of the year that I teach, and then there will be six months, eight months before I start again this separate term. And so my first, the first ever class of every term, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm really nervous. And... Um, but once the, the first 10 minutes or 20 minutes is done, you get, you get back into the flow of it. Can you describe for us in, in terms of how that nervousness is for you? So some people talk about they feel butterflies or maybe they feel all of a sudden unprepared. How does that, how does that manifest itself for you? <laughs> Panic. <laughs> I Panic. I like a dry mouth and oh, yeah. I don't know, there's yeah. always the fear that oh, it's going to go terribly wrong and yeah. I'm going to look stupid. And I mean, as most people know this, we're in the harshest critics. Yep. And um, what we fail to realise is that the, the people sat in the room have got their own issues, their own problems. And even if you stumble on a few words, they don't, re- they don't really mind if the content you're giving is, is, is good. And so, yeah, the first, the first class of, of, of the year, I, I can get really nervous. I can relate to that, and I know that a lot of our listeners will too, because when you think about communicating to a group of people, particularly, I like that, at the start of a, say, start of the year or one of the early ones, you can get incredibly nervous. The old dry mouth, the butterflies. And if you look back at that, what... Have you ever, or rather, can you share with us any kind of strategies that you've kind of developed over time to cope with nerves that maybe our listeners could benefit from? Yeah, and some of the other technicians think it's it's funny, but I, I tend to, so I go into the environment that I'm going to be teaching in, so it's a laboratory, and I'll go in and I will speak out loud, let's say the first 10 minutes of what yeah. I'm going to be teaching them that day. Good idea. Because for me, um, it's all about getting past the initial hump of, of the nerves. So if, you, if, if it's down in your head, you've spoken out loud, you've heard yourself, and uh, when you start the class, you, you get a couple of minutes in and if your nerves, if you forget because you then get more invested in the topic you're discussing. It's getting past that 50 eyes on me yeah. kind of scenario. Yeah, it's, it's a good, good point and it really does work because I was working with a, a group who uh, moderate, moderate panels and what we, where we got to in terms of, in terms of the kind of that group session was is that if... Um, one of the cha- biggest challenges they've got is that they might be, you know, talking to a room of you know, hundreds of people. But if they got their, practice their introduction, that first three to five minute kind of, this is why we're here, this is what you're going to get from today, and this is how I want you to contribute, that enabled them to kind of be a lot more confident because it kind of, that's only the initial steps out onto the arena, whether that be a stage or in a, into a coaching room or a, or a laboratory. Once you, if you've got your script right for the beginning, you're kind of 
the rest of it kind of flows naturally, doesn't it? And also being in, in the environment you're going to be in, because if, if you think about your home, and your, your, your home is where you're comfortable, but, but that's because you've got good memories there. You, you move to a new place and you, you feel slightly out of sorts for the first few hours you're there because it's a new environment. And it's the same with, with a, a teaching environment. If you're actually used to your surroundings, like you've at least spent a few minutes chatting in your surroundings, it kind of goes some way to forgetting the fact you're in a new environment. I agree. And I don't know whether you've ever done this before, but one top tip that I always give people who are maybe sort of giving a, a, a talk or presenting at work is that before you do it, before you actually have to do it on the day, maybe even on the day before you actually speak, go and stand in the area that you're going to deliver your presentation or talk in, or even your coaching session. Because like most people, they're running, running sessions, they're probably running them on the evening or the weekend, so they'll get the room a little bit beforehand. Stand there and just run through your introduction. It's, work, it's worthwhile, isn't it? Yeah, it is for me. I do it every year. Thank the first 10 minutes. Thank you, Corey. Thank you very much. I wonder if we can talk a little bit, you know, a bit more outside of the context in terms of the actual work you do, but more in broader terms in terms of what you've learnt over your career in terms of communicating with, with groups of people. Is that okay? Yeah. In your view, from the people you see, maybe it's other lecturers, other technicians, people who are delivering sessions, maybe, maybe it's even people you've seen on, on YouTube and do, delivering TED Talks, what do you say are the one or two key ingredients for being a good communicator? passion of the subject. I, I'm always impressed when, when someone is, is, is teaching and they, they look like they love what they're talking about and they're animated and they're involved and um, they're not timid or quiet about it. They're, they're, they're passionate about it. Passion is, is very important. You mentioned earlier about knowing your subject. Would you say that's also another key ingredient for being a, a strong, great communicator? Well, Yes, but if you don't know your subject, then what are you doing there, in a sense? Because yeah. if you're not actually... Because you should hopefully be trying to benefit other people, as well as experience and involve yourself. You're wanting other people to benefit from your time, and if you've not invested your time in actually researching your subject, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, a cop-out for the people that have turned up to hear you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, if people are listening and they're in the public speaking field, maybe they want to do a TEDx talk or present at work, one of the key things you've got to do is put the practice in to know the subject, know the subject, practice your delivery, and to your point, you know, run through it a couple of times, maybe even stand in the place where you're going to be delivering that presentation or that talk to give yourself a bit of a confidence boost, but absolutely know your subject. Thank you, Corey. Can I do a quick fire round now? Yeah. So if, just in case people have jumped forward on the podcast. Skipped on. Yeah, <laughs> skipped skip on a little bit. What we thought we were going to do is a quick fire round to give us right, your wisdom, right? Number one. Are you ready? Yeah. You deliver complex information on a daily basis. Thinking about people in the corporate world or in a public speaking world. If they're going to deliver complex information to a, uh, an audience who might not be familiar with those concepts, what would be your top tip? Know your audience. You should know the level that your audience is at to be able to then tailor the content. Brilliant. Number two, are you ready? Yeah. Your boss has thrown you in at the deep end. She's told you to deliver a presentation. What would be your top tip? Don't panic. Focus on what you need to deliver. Yes, focus on your message. Yeah. And number three, 
You've invited questions from the audience. Always dangerous. It's always dangerous. <laughs> so is your top tip, don't ask for questions. Uh, no. What's your top tip if you've asked for questions, somebody throws you a curveball, what do you do? Appreciate that they've thrown you a curveball because you can't know everything all the time. I mean, you can do your best, but there's always yeah. going to be a curveball out there. Don't get flustered. Appreciate that they obviously have spent time researching it themselves. Thank you very much. Corey, I've got another question for you. When you think about running your group sessions, your laboratory workshops, and you're communicating to a group of people, is there something that you got from that experience that you didn't expect? Yeah, uh, it might sound unusual, but enjoyment. When I first thought of public speaking, it, it scared the life out of me. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but when you see that the students that you're teaching are, are enjoying the class and they're fully invested, you've got their intention, and, and they seem to be really eager. And the results of the, of the maybe the, the um, experiments are going really well. Um, to actually get enjoyment over... It's a strange thing to get, enjoy something that it also scares you or makes you nervous, in a sense. What advice would you give to somebody at work who has to run their first session and they're very nervous? It's not going to be as bad as you think it is. It's not. <laughs> it might be bad, but not as bad. It's always, in our minds, it's always worse than, than it is. That's a good top tip. It is always worse in our minds. So anybody who's thinking about running sessions, communicating to a group of people that's public speaking or whatever, Practice on maybe five-year close friends or something. Yeah, good idea. Practice it and then at least, because you're still going to feel nervous, you can still feel deaf, but yeah. you get feedback. And actually your friends would probably be more honest with you as well, wouldn't yeah, they? they would. <laughs> <laughs> actually, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Mythbuster. Right, Mythbuster. Corey, what negative thing do people think will happen when they're communicating to a group, running lectures, public speaking... What negative thing do people think will happen, but never does? Um, that you're going to be perceived badly, or you maybe look, look the fool. But usually what tends to happen is you're talking about something you have a knowledge of, and therefore that will come across. And the people are usually there to learn, learn from you. Yeah. And so it's, it's very rare. People tend to be quite positive, don't they? Yeah. We, as I said before, we're, we're our own harshest critics. And, yeah... That's a good top tip, actually, as well. Is if you can get out of your head for a moment, yeah. uh, the more present you are in the experience that you're doing, whether you be running a group session or communicating with people, if you can get out of your head, you realise it actually is not as bad as you think it is. And even if something does go wrong, in their minds, a few hours later, they've forgotten all about it. Or it it's, not, it's not a big deal if something goes wrong because it's life. So. Yeah, absolutely right. Thank you very much. We're almost at the end of the interview. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. So a couple more questions, and the next one I think is an important one. With all your experience, when you look back at your career, I don't know how many years that is, but... <laughs> it's like, this is our life, but yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not quite at the end. Uh, not hearing the time and age just You're yet. not. But when you look back at your career, with all the wisdom you've got now, is there one thing that you'd share with yourself, just one thing that you wish you'd known back then? Going back to an earlier one, just don't care about how other people perceive you because if you're yeah. actually being decent and, and uh, doing your best, then you're not going to be perceived badly. You're absolutely right, actually. And it, it took, me, took me until maybe my, my late 20s, 30s before I stopped caring because I knew what I was doing or trying to do. I was, I was, putting, I was investing myself in it, so therefore I, you know, I couldn't be perceived badly. And if I was, then 
they weren't really. And is, that, is that a sort of advice you give to people who are, I don't know, we, we, I guess as we go through our careers, we can kind of worry that we're maybe being judged. Yeah. What would your advice be then? It's a fleeting thing, isn't it, being judged? Yeah. It, it passes. I don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> to actually advise, but it's a, being ju judgment is a fleeting thing. If someone's going to judge you, they'll be judging other people. Yeah. They'll have moved on pretty, pretty quickly to something else. That's true, and you can probably argue it's a good learning experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time today, Corey. I know that our listeners will get a lot of value out of what you're saying. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom. And if I can just ask you now, what's next for Corey Beckwith? Retirement. Retirement. <laughs> well, I, I love what I do. Um, I really enjoy it. And I can't really see myself moving into a different field. So more of the same in a sense. I mean, there might be other positions that open up at work, other roles that I can take on, like I took on the Schedule 1 drugs licence. Yeah. So there might be other things that open up, but I see myself doing a similar role in teaching and research, because I like it. So. Brilliant. And that's good. When you love what you do, you should yeah. keep doing it, and shouldn't you? From, from speaking to quite a few, few people, that's not always for everyone. In the sense that it's a rarity, and it took me a long time to find something I like to do. So. Thank you, Corey. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I've really enjoyed it. Hopefully you have too. Yeah, more than I thought I would. <laughs> more than you thought you would. Well, thank you so much. Thank you everybody for listening as well. Please do check out the show notes because there's a link in there which gives you access to my newsletter. If you sign up, you'll get access to lots of tips and techniques to help you to communicate with confidence. And I will speak to you next week. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit me at davidalamari.com.